0: Thanks, Alvin. Well, folks, if you would like to uh, keep your uh, finger in both those uh, passages this morning as we uh, come to look at them together, let us pray first of all. Father, we want to thank you this morning again for your word to us. We want to thank you this morning, Lord, for this opportunity to uh, be taught and to be... uh, Listeners, Lord, but we pray that in being listeners that we might just not be hearers, but as James reminds us, Lord, that we will also put what we learn today into practice, that we would be doers of the word as well. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, as Alwyn said, we are in the process at the moment of working through uh, the uh, letter of uh, James uh, to the church in his day. And uh, this morning our focus is on uh, on being teachers. Uh, Teachers and the tongue is what we've entitled today's message. Mischievous, devouring, lying, cursing, filthy, Corrupt, evil, blasphemous, poisonous, wicked, deceitful, a sharp sword, a deadly arrow, a fire. These are just some of the words that the Bible uses to describe the tongue, the human tongue. And here in chapter 3, James is going to devote quite a uh, fair portion of the chapter to, uh, to this particular and important topic. You might recall that at the end of James 1, as we've been uh, working our way through, he pointed out that, that a religion that is pure and undefiled, that the kind of uh, faith that we are to put into practice in our lives, that we are to have ourselves, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God is one where a person bridles his tongue. Where they restrain to their tongue. It is also a religion where we care for the poor and the afflicted, the widows and the orphans, as James points out, and where a person practices holiness. In other words, where we are to keep unstained from the world around us. We see that in James chapter one, verses 26 and 27, the last few verses of chapter one. And what James then goes on to do is he takes up each of these particular uh, points individually through the rest of his letter. And over the past few weeks in chapter two, we've, uh, we've seen how James elaborates, particularly in greater detail, on what it means to take care for one another, of, of, take care of one another. Now, we spoke about how to love our neighbour, not show favouritism and, and to be merciful and the like. James has, has been at great pains to point out, you know, that, that we as, as God's people are to, uh, are to love our neighbour as ourselves. We are to, uh, to make sure that we care for one another and uphold one another and encourage each other. But he also then talks about in chapter 2 how our faith, if it is a real and genuine faith, Will actually, we we seen within it will be revealed through these kind of deeds in the things that we do, those deeds and actions that we've been speaking about, and of course they result from this changed heart and life that results from the implanted word of God, the life giving word that God plants within us and starts to bear fruit through our lives through these actions. And as we we saw over the last couple of weeks, a saving faith, that genuine faith, if you like, is is one that will show itself through action. But here in chapter 3, James takes up another matter of the tongue in order to show that it's not just our actions which point to the genuineness of our faith, but it is also, and probably more importantly, our speech. What we say points to the genuineness of our faith. When speaking of the, uh, the genuine or the, the, the relationship between, uh, between our words and our, and our faith, our heart, uh, we, we read Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. And he says, uh, he says this: He says, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Now, here Jesus is talking to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the teachers of Israel. You brood of vipers, he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There we see Jesus' correlation or his relation of the heart, what, what, who, we are tr- who we truly are in ourselves, to what comes out of our mouths. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus goes on to say the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, Jesus says, that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus says. Now, of course, this is in you know, the, the the same kind of things as what James has been saying over the past several weeks in his letter. Jesus says, "By your words you will be justified." Jesus isn't saying that you know by what you say will will will, uh, will that, the, the good things that you say will actually get you into heaven. What Jesus is saying here is the words that you speak will actually testify to the actual, the actual heart transformation that has taken place because of that receiving of God's word, the gospel, in a person's heart and life. So he says, you know, by your words you will be justified because your words will point to a right heart with God. And by your words you will be condemned. Folks, as believers, we recognise that each day we find ourselves in a spiritual battle. We are at war. We are at war. It's a battle between our new nature and Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, where he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But of course, we still carry around within our bodies this sinful flesh. These evil desires, these wicked desires that uh, that, that constantly are waging war with this new nature that God has placed within us. And at the forefront of this spiritual battle is the tongue. It's the tongue, for it is the place where we as believers most often stumble whether it be through anger or through gossip, through slander, through criticism, through hatred, we, we often express you know these, these sinful actions and desires of our hearts through our mouths. And as James teaches on the tongue in this chapter, we cannot help but see just how huge a problem it is. How such a small organ in our bodies can cause so much devastation and destruction in people's lives. Now it's no wonder then that James, as he begins this discussion on the tongue, he focuses first and foremost on those who teach. On those who teach. Because after all, when it comes to teachers, the tongue is their primary tool of trade. Isn't that right, teachers? The tongue is the primary tool of trade. And because of its very nature, teaching involves a lot of speaking. It involves us talking a lot. I see a few teachers nodding their heads around the room. And so therefore when we use this speech and our tongue a lot, there's a lot more potential for us to to cause harm. A lot more potential for us to slip up. A lot more potential for those evil things within our hearts to actually come out through our mouths. There's much more potential for error and for sin. Now as we sort of get into this, I want to first of all set just a couple of things straight, okay. And the, the first is this is that the role of a teacher is an important one in the church. Okay, the role of teacher is an important one. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, which is what Alwyn read to us earlier, that, that Christ has gifted to his church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Now some would, it's, would see the pastors and teachers being two different roles. I actually see it being the same role, pastor-teacher. And their role was this. They were to equip the saints. Folks, that's you. They were to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that ministry is building up the body of Christ, first and foremost, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, or to to mature spiritual, spiritual manhood, if you like. To the measure of the stature of all the fullness of Christ. So that we... Okay, so here's the reason why we are to build up this way. So that we may not be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. But instead, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, that is Christ, who is the head... The one from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you get the picture? Okay, Christ has gifted to his church certain people for this specific role of training up the people, of training up the people of the church in order that they be the ones who carry out the ministry. So, if you think that uh, that it is the pastor's role or the elders' role to be doing the ministry as such, and that the people in the church we just pay the pastor to do that, then this passage very clearly says that that's the wrong that's the wrong um, understanding to have. So, there is a specific role for teachers, which Christ has purpose for His church. Now. If you think right now, okay, well this passage this morning is focusing on teachers, I can switch off. Because I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I don't have to worry about this this morning. I can have a bit of a snooze or I can actually uh, perhaps have a bit of a flick through the newsletter. Well, I've got some news for you. And it's this. That if you go, if you keep following that passage through, you will see that each of us have a role within the life of the church. And it is in fact a teaching role. Every single one of us. It may not be specifically someone who will stand up in front of the congregation and teach the word of God in this regard, but we have got a teaching role towards one another. Because Paul goes on to say that we are to speak the truth in love, work together, grow together, build ourselves, build each other up in love, so that all of us will be kept on the on the right path. So that we won't be carried, you know, carried to and fro by the waves of all of this, you know, this, this wrong teaching and false doctrine and things like that. We each have got a responsibility to one another to help, encourage, and keep each other on the right path, walking towards Jesus. We need to make sure that we are, we, that we are, you know, doing that regularly with each other. Keeping each other accountable. You know, not sort of not, not from the point of view that we sort of, you know, go up to each other and say, We saw you do this the other week, you know, and shake your finger at them and that sort of thing. But get alongside each other, you know, and, and say, you know what, this is an area that I really struggle with. And perhaps it might be an area that you struggle with too. How about we pray for one another? And we perhaps journey together a little bit and keep each other accountable in that area of our lives. By practising grace and forgiveness and understanding towards one another. That's what speaking the truth in love is about. We are a community of faith, folks. A community of faith. And believe me, the world out there at the moment is trying to undermine our faith in so many ways. Through so many avenues. We need to look out for one another. And care for each other, and work in terms of building up that community of faith. When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, he said he wanted them to go out into the world and make disciples by baptising them and by teaching them. Now, does that does that uh, does that uh, commission uh, directly relate to to, uh, to teachers such as you know pastors and that sort of thing only? No, it doesn't. It is to every single one of us. So you can see there that we all have this, this role of teaching, if you like. It is incumbent on us all to know what we believe. Jo spoke about this this morning as she was leading us through our time of worship together. We are no, we, are, we are to know what we believe and we need to be able to communicate that to others. Now, that m- will most likely for many of us not necessarily be in an upfront role, but it will be on a one-to-one basis. We are to know what we believe, and we are to be able to communic- we need to be able to communicate that to those around about us. Dads, being fathers day to- day. you guys have a responsibility to, to be the spiritual leaders in your homes. you need to, you know, you need to be the ones who are, who are leading and teaching your families. In the ways of the Lord. Can I ask you this morning, how are you going with this? Are you regularly spending time in the Word in order to be able to communicate what the Word says to your families? So that you will indeed be that godly leader and teacher. Recognising, of course, that we all you know we all fall, we all make mistakes, but we rely on we rely on the grace of God within that role. But we ourselves have to have to you know have to put in the effort, guys. So where we so here we see when it comes to, to speaking, James isn't just speaking about you know um, you know pastors and people like that. Okay, yes, he you know he specifically addresses those with the primary teaching role in the church, but he is also addressing all believers. Okay, to an extent here in this passage. And when it comes to teaching, James issues this warning. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And what James is trying to get across here is that, you know, he, even though he says, you know, Not many of you should become brothers, should become teachers. He's not sort of trying to say, well, you know, trying to limit the numbers of, of teachers within the church. What he's kind of saying is this: is that you know what? There is, this is a really, really, it's a really significant thing to teach the word of God. A very important thing, and and teaching should never ever be entered into lightly. It should never ever be be uh, be. Um, Um, Treated with uh, with uh, a scant disregard for its you know for its value and its importance. Sometimes there is a temptation for a person to desire such a role as a teacher. In fact, if you look at uh, some of the qualifications for elder in the church, and one of the uh, one of the qualifications there is that elders should be able to teach the word of God. Talks about elders you know that is that it's a good thing for a person to uh, you know to desire that role but we've got to make sure that we, we, we we're very careful of what's going on in our hearts within that there's a temptation for people to desire role, these kind of roles but for the wrong reasons see teaching very much is a public activity we're up in front of people all the time. And because of this, there's a tendency at times to place more importance on people who have got a teaching role. To you know, to put it to to associate with them, you know, honour and admiration and that sort of thing. But can I tell you that that is, although we are to we are to pray for our teachers and we're to we uh, we to care for them and we're to uh, we're to recognise that they've got a tough job. But we've also got to recognise that we've got to be careful that we don't contribute to them stumbling in that role. That we don't afford to them. That so much admiration and honour that we put them up on pedestals. Because what we're doing then is we're actually contributing to you know that person actually stumbling and falling or that possibility of that stumbling and falling. Folks, can I say that that being up in front of people in, in this teaching role it can be very alluring. It can be a nice thing to be able to, you know, get that uh, that pat on the back at the end of the, the Sunday service, say, Great job today, Pastor. And yes, we need to be encouraging, but we need to be careful that we do not setting up people for, for you know a big, big fall by just building them up and building them up and building them up and giving them this this inordinate amount of, of admiration and honour. Christ is the only one who deserves that in the church. Jesus warned about this in Matthew 23 verses 1 to 8 when he says, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honour at feasts and best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Jesus says... Now, for me, I have a real issue when it comes to people, particularly people who pro- profess to be teachers in the Christian church, who kind of, you know, seek after that kind of role and look for that admiration. One of the things I've got a real issue with, and I know that I've sort of probably said some to some of you already, I have a real issue with being called reverend. I don't think any person should be called reverend or revered in that way. I am no more special than anyone else here in this room this morning, than anyone else in Christchurch. church. Yes, I have been given a role as a pastor in this, in this place, amongst this congregation by Jesus. But does that make me any more special than anyone? No, it doesn't. I am just the same as you. And we all have got a role to fulfil by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ every single one of us now that's not to deny the scriptures instructions concerning leaders it talks about in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you so yes we are to we are to you know care for our leaders yes. But do not put them on a pedestal above anyone else. When it comes to, a, to teaching, our attitude should be similar to that of Paul, where he says in Ephesians chapter three verses eight to 10, he says, "To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given." to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Paul says he was given grace... By Jesus Christ. It was a blessing upon him to be able to go and preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, to be a teacher. Grace was given him. It is indeed a gift of grace. And every single one of us have been given gifts of grace. They're called spiritual gifts. Every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has a gift to exercise within the life and ministry of the church. That was Paul's grace. Alistair Begg points to the words of Jeremiah Jeremiah to Baruch in Jeremiah chapter 45 and verse 5. And he says this, And do you seek great things for yourself? And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Seek them not. I reckon that's really, really wise words. If we seek great things for themselves, God's word to us is, seek them not. As I said, I get very concerned when I hear or see Christian leaders desiring to promote themselves. To puff themselves up. To promote themselves over Christ and his church. James goes on to say that the reason why people should be hesitant in becoming teachers or to make sure that we, we really are serious, take this role of teachers seriously, is because of the fact that God will hold these people more accountable. They will be judged, he says, with greater strictness. Folks, to sin with the tongue. While speaking on behalf of God is very, very serious business. God himself will hold people to account for what they teach. We've already seen Jesus' response to the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 23. There are seven woes that Jesus pronounces on the religious leaders, the teachers of his day. He calls them hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs and so forth. And throughout Scripture we see warning after warning after warning about false teachers. Teachers who not only distort the Word of God, but who actually oppose the Word of God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Just as in John's day, so in our day. There are many false prophets who are out there in the world, and sadly, many believers today are being led astray by them. And Peter warns about this where he says in 2 Peter 2 verses 1 to 3, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you within the church. There will be false teachers. And they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master, that is Christ, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Peter is saying here that there will be people who go out and they will will preach false, false stuff about God and about his word. Stuff will not only distort it but also deny it. And they will be in the church. And we as believers need to be very careful about what we hear and about what we listen to and what we take on board in our Christian lives. We, we've, we have got a responsibility that we are not deceived ourselves. And that is why it's important that each of us look out for one another in this. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. No, not that one. Here we are. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Timothy was a pastor in the early church appointed by Paul. He says, In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermeneus and Alexander. Paul is saying here that we need to hold on to the faith with a good conscience. Make sure that we're following the right things, because by rejecting it, we will indeed make shipwreck of our faith, just like these people. When God commissioned the prophet Ezekiel, he did with these words Son of man, he said, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require of of you at your hands. But if you mourn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Here is the right way to handle the word of God. Now I want to ask you this morning as we read those words to Ezekiel, the watchman for Israel, we as Christ's, Christ's disciples in our world today, are we not watchmen for the world today, proclaiming the word of God to our world and if we are, then surely shouldn't we take God's warning here very, very seriously? I mean, what are the implications here for evangelism? If we've been given a message of salvation of Jesus Christ, a message of warning to the world, and yet we do not proclaim that warning, then who will, we, who will God hold accountable for that? You and I. That's incredible implications for evangelism, don't you think? as teachers 2 Timothy 2:15 says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth do your best And Paul's word to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian elders, as he departs them in Acts 20, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We have to be people who are prepared to to get it out there, to proclaim God's word. But as we do that, We have to be reminded that God will hold us all accountable for how we proclaim that. Isn't that a sobering thought to us today, folks? Do you find that a very sobering thought today? How we handle the Word of God? How we proclaim the Word of God? How we teach the Word of God? The Word of God is about people's eternity, people's eternal destiny. And as such, it has to be the most valuable possession that we hold. Isn't that true? That's why we've got that sign out there that's that's been out there all week, that the word of God is more precious than any of man's riches. Because it deals with eternal things. John MacArthur, writing about uh, this particular passage, says, Teachers who misrepresent the word of God can do more spiritual and moral damage to God's people than a hundred atheists or secularists attacking from the outside. The words of teachers, folks, our words, our words can leave an indelible mark for good or evil on the people that we come into contact with every day. They have the power and potential to either strengthen or destroy, to bring life or seal death. Now having said that, can I say that James then goes on to say, for we all stumble in many ways, and here's the kind of, um, the, the, the fine print if you like, Right? We have to remember that we are all people who stumble. We stumble with the things we say, yes, but we stumble in our own heart attitudes and motivations and things like that as well. And so what we need to remember in that is that first and foremost, we've got a God who understands that we've got a God who stands ready to forgive. We have a God who stands ready to impart grace. And to lift us up when we do fall. So that we are not to be discouraged when we we do fall, but we are instead to come before God in humility and confess our sin and then to go on with Him in faith and trust, carrying out that role that He has given us. Folks, I cannot tell you the amount of times I get down out of this pulpit on a Sunday and I just want to just crawl in a hole. Because I feel as though I've done such an injustice to God and to His Word and to, and, God, and to God's people. And I guarantee that there are many of us who, when we're given opportunities to speak about God to, what, to other people, we come away from those conversations and we think, oh my goodness me. We have a God of grace, no one is immune and, ex- and exempt. In regards to the danger of the tongue or in regards to sin, we all stumble in many ways. But we need to remember this that we need to practice honesty and humility. First and foremost, we need to continue to be learners. That's what disciple means, learner. We don't have all the answers, folks. None of us have all the answers. And can I say that no one will fully understand or have a perfect grasp of the scriptures? Isaiah 55.8 reminds us about that. But what we do know is we've got a great and mighty God who is able to use the most weak and the most sinful and the most inept human beings because he uses me every single Sunday in this pulpit. He uses you every single week in your homes, out there in the communities. He uses us every single day to impact the lives of the people around about us. Isn't that great? Yes. So therefore, let us not think that perfection needs to be the goal in this life, but instead let every day be about an ongoing need of honesty and humility, repentance and growth in grace. All we can do is give our best to God and remember his words from the prophet Isaiah in in chapter 66 verse 2. God says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. If there is only one thing you remember this morning, please remember that. That God says, here is the person that I look to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Teachers, not many of you brothers should become teachers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Handling the word of God truthfully and honestly. Remembering that we all stumble in many ways. But as we go out into this week, as teachers, in our homes, wherever we are, as we go out this week as teachers, let us remember we go out in the grace of God. The grace of God who called us. And the grace of God which will equip us. And the grace of God which will empower us. And the grace of God that will indeed um, accomplish all that he wants to in this world, despite us. Amen? Amen? Oh, you're not excited this morning, folks. <laughs> Let's pray, Father God. We thank you this morning for your word to us from uh, from James. Lord, recognizing that indeed your word is so precious and so valuable and so wonderful, Lord, it is a life-giving word—a word that is all about how a person can 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 come to know you and to live in relationship with you and to have that relationship which, where you just work in people's lives, you you. You um, bring about, you know, what you choose to in a person's life, Lord, and you are working about what you, you, you know, what you are about in this world today. Lord, thank you for the for the privilege it is of working with you in that. Thank you that we have been just blessed in this way, and help us each day to walk in humility, to have that contriteness out of our hearts, Lord, and indeed to be people who tremble at Your word every day. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. Our song speaks of our response in being willing to yield to whatever God has for us to do as his teachers. So we're going to sing this as a family. So the men again are going to lead in the first verse.